Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. If you would remain standing, please. Uh, I'd like for you to go to Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. And I, I'd like to ask your indulgence for a, for a few minutes, at least tonight. This initial, the initial part of this message, you may ask yourself, what is he thinking preaching that tonight of all times? But if you will just give me a little bit. A little bit of time here, okay? It's only 7 o'clock. And while I'm a teacher, not a preacher, uh, I will do my best to uh, proclaim and not try to explain, even though everything in me would like to dot the I's and cross the T's so there's no question or debate on what I'm preaching. There, There is a message here, and... Um, it is a very important message. This is something that God has given me, and I've only ever even preached part of it one time ever in my life, and that was a couple of weekends ago on Friday night of Brother Libby's pastoral retirement service, and it was late when I got the pulpit, and I just high-pointed a few things, and it really wasn't that message that night, and this is not the same message. If you heard that or you were there, uh, you will recognize before we're too far into this, it's not the same message, even though the starting point may seem the same. And so uh, I'm going to read off the screen, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. And if you will permit me, I'm going to read 10 verses. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. Till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years." But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, 
to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, that's Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast, or we also call him the Antichrist, and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You may be seated. God bless you. In so much of my study over the years, I have focused on verses 4, 5, and 6 that talked about the, the place of the church, the resurrection of the church. And if you will notice, please, there's two groups in, chap, in chapter 20, verse 4. And that's those that are already sitting on thrones in heaven. And then a, another group that was saved out of tribulation and the plan of salvation during that seven years of tribulation is beheading. That's the plan of salvation. Those that refuse to participate in the world's economic system uh, will be eliminated because they're troublemakers. And the reason they would refuse is because of their faith in God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, refusal to participate. So they will be killed. These people are, are resurrected at the end of the seven years. The church has already been resurrected. It was, we find the church in heaven in chapters four and five. I know some don't agree with that, but I've asked the question to numerous people, uh, who are the 24 elders in chapters four and five if they're not the church? And no one, even the foremost authorities on post-trib rapture, have come up with, even made an attempt to explain who they are. And they're already in heaven before the first seal is opened in chapter 6. And I know for some of you, you never heard such stuff in your life. What is he talking about? Well, the problem is, hang on a few minutes and you're going to wish you didn't know what I was talking about. The church is going to come to an end on the earth. This is going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ takes his spirit off the earth, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And those that have the spirit who have been baptized in his name are going to be taken off with the spirit. At the beginning of the seven years of the time of Jacob's trouble or Daniel's 70th week, again, I know these are terms uh, that you may not be familiar with at all and just think about how much good stuff you've got to learn. If you think this is boring, then you don't know what you're talking about. Because there's no way to ever stop learning. Praise God. So, uh, at the end of that period of time, of a period where many people have talked about, because they don't know what they're talking about, but they talk about it, the Antichrist. And the Battle of Armageddon. Okay? They even make movies with that title, Armageddon. And uh, it's so in our day and time that any great catastrophe is an Armageddon. And the, uh, the battle will be fought at the end of that seven years. And uh, 
Christ and those that are with him in heaven will come back from, uh, from heaven to defeat all of those that are trying to destroy Israel. And according to the prophecies, prophecies, many, many prophecies, the Lord Jesus Christ in bodily form will sit upon a, the throne of, of his father David in the city of Jerusalem and will rule the world from Jerusalem both as the world's God and as their single world ruler. There will be one world government. There's going to be a false one world government first that will be destroyed. But then there's going to be a true one world government for a thousand years. And I read that to you in these verses. Christ is going to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. But it's, it's a really unique situation because he promised that the church, his bride, his body, would be, uh, would be resurrected and given glorified bodies like he had when he was resurrected. And he promised that the church would rule and reign on earth with him for a thousand years. Remember the parable where he said to the man with five talents who gained five more because you've been faithful, I'm going to make you ruler over ten cities. And the man who had two talents and gained two more, he said, because you've been faithful, I'm going to make you ruler over ten cities. What's he talking about? He's talking about the millennial kingdom. Because here's the, here's the thing, you see. I don't have the time to go into it, but I personally, now I know some don't believe in this, that's fine. But I believe personally there have been seven what uh, some call and I personally call dispensations from the creation of man till the end of times uh, of God's dealing with man on the earth through the, 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 the millennial kingdom. There have been seven different phases uh, in which God dealt with man in a certain way. And during each one of these periods there was a different plan of salvation. And the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. In the garden, the first paradise, there was no sin, there was no sickness. And the only commandment was, don't eat of this tree. That's it. They could do anything else. No restrictions, no limitations. Just don't eat of this tree. See, because man says today, there's too many do's and don'ts. If there weren't so many do's and don'ts, then I, I, maybe I'd be a believer. But there's too many do's and don'ts. But hey, wait, the garden, going all the way back to the beginning, is proof in the judgment, that great white throne judgment, that when man only had one rule to follow, he couldn't do it. And so Adam is going to stand, Adam and Eve are going to stand in judgment against us, proving that man, when there was no sin, no sickness, no tragedies, no excuses, only one rule, man couldn't do it. So your excuse, there's too many do's and don'ts. Sorry, all of mankind is going to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. 
And we're all going to be witnesses one against another. How about put on the screen for me Roman, uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7. See that's in each one of these dispensations of time. One of which was called the dispensation of conscience. All man was expected to do was live by his conscience. There was no Bible. There were no preachers. There was just his conscience. Every man's born with a conscience. And all a man had to do to be saved was live by his conscience. But man in that period of time proved that man's not going to live by his conscience. Because our conscience tells us stuff we don't want to hear. Well, I don't have to go to church. I don't have to believe in anything. I'm going to live by my conscience. Too late. You were born in the wrong time for that. Because man has already had several hundred years, a thousand years, whatever it was, to prove whether or not he could do that, and he couldn't. And what was the result of that? The flood. Because the Bible says when man was living according to his conscience, and that was the plan of salvation... Every, the thoughts and imagination to his heart was only evil continually. Man proved that living by his conscience didn't work. And listen to this. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen of yet. By faith. He moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. That was his goal. That was his purpose. But look from God's perspective what else happened. By, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now don't get all caught up in what it says here in this context. It wasn't Noah that condemned the world. The word condemned there means the evidence that supplies, that produces the verdict guilty. So Noah is the evidence. He is the evidence against all of those living by conscience that they all began to live, uh, refused to live by their conscience and the fact that Noah chose to obey God and only eight people obeyed God by getting in the ark. Their faith in building the ark and getting in the ark justified God in destroying every other living soul on earth. And he was still a just God. Still a good God. Still a loving God. I saw a post the other day about how eternal our salvation is. We can't lose our salvation. I totally agree with that. You can't lose your salvation. But when you get saved, you were a free moral agent. And salvation doesn't cause you to stop being a free moral agent. And while you can't lose your salvation, you can sure give it back. Because you don't lose the right to choose. Salvation doesn't take away your ability and responsibility to continue to choose. And the same choice I made to get saved, I can make the same choice to be lost again. 
There's no preacher. There's no church can make anybody do anything. That's why we're everyone accountable for ourselves. The best that a preacher can do is be the guy standing in the middle of the road where the bridge is out, waving his hand saying, please don't go this way, the bridge is out. Please don't go this way, the bridge is out. God gave the world 125 years of the preaching of Noah while he took him him and his three his two three sons and his wife and four three daughters-in-law the eight of them it took him 125 years to build a boat out of wood that was the size of a modern day destroyer 450 feet long 75 feet high wide 45 feet high it took eight people not only not only planting and sowing so they could live, doing all the other responsibilities of life, but it took them that long in their time as they were able to build that ark. And while they were building, Noah was preaching. And that's the only warning the world had of a flood. The preached word and the life lived by those that preached it. And it just, God was just and right and good in destroying every single living human being on earth except the eight that believed. Man made the choice. God didn't. Well, that's not just. Oh, really? So you're willing for God to come in here tonight and take your will away and make you be saved? Take away your ability to choose and make you do right? You see, you can't have it both ways. You can't have the right to make your own decisions and then blame God when you're lost. Because your choices. He's not taking away your choices. Not taking away your choices. And so... Not, I'm skipping over some of them just to, for a little bit. Then, then God says, okay, you want to know what you got to do? Here it is. So he gave the law to Moses. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Clear. It's clear here. Only the problem is, the only power and ability man had to keep those laws was his own human will and strength of character. Oh, and by the way, when God gave those laws, he also gave another set of laws that told man how to get their sins forgiven because he knew man wasn't going to be able to do it because flesh can't get it done, you see. And then God, in His mercy, in His mercy, knowing that man could not save himself, went to the cross in man's place so that man could be forgiven. And then he said, I, I will, this is my new covenant I'm going to make with you. I'm going to put my spirit within you and I'm going to take out of you the stony heart, uh, uh, your, your stony heart, your hardened heart. And I'm going to put within you a new heart and I'm going to write my laws in your heart, not on tables of stone, not, not some rule book you read. I'm going to put this in you here. I'm going to put it in you if you'll let me. And then my spirit, if you will let me, will be the empowerment that will enable you to do what's right. And here we sit tonight. We've repented of our sins according to the word of God. We've been, we've been baptized into his death. We've been washed by his blood in that baptism. 
we have been baptized into him. And then he was baptized into us when we received his spirit. Even as you were, you, you were, you were baptized into his death, his spirit comes in to resurrect you so that like as he would die and was buried, we were died, we repented of his death and we were buried, that's water baptism, and then we were resurrected by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. The same spirit that came in his dead body in that tomb is the same exact spirit that comes in those that will receive it and resurrects us from our spiritual death and even with that he said if you say you have no sin speaking to the church the water baptized blood washed child of God with the name of Jesus on you and the spirit of God in you the grace and the love of God work in your life. He say if he said, if you say you have no sin, you make yourself a liar. He said, if we would confess our sins, he would be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then finally comes this millennial kingdom, where every final excuse of man. Is taken away, not for a few days or weeks or months, but for a thousand years. There won't be any question about unrighteous government because the Lord himself will be the king. The righteous God of the earth, the creator of all things, will be sitting on the throne visibly in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ ruling over the world. So there won't be any question about unrighteous government or who God is. There won't be any other religions. There will only be one religion. So there won't be any confusion over what's the true religion. Oh, and by the way, the church, who will also have glorified bodies, Flesh and spirit, but not flesh and blood. And the church will be the kings and priests. That means in every part of the earth, the church will be the preacher and the government. So there's no more question about unscrupulous preachers. Because they will already be blood washed, saved, transformed. They won't have flesh. They won't have their own agenda. There won't be any question. There won't be any question if the church is after money because everything and all the resources of the world will belong to the one sitting on the throne of Jerusalem. All the excuses that men have used as why they don't go to church. Well, I'm not going to church there, this, that, and the other. Will be taken away for a thousand years. Oh, and there won't be a devil either for a thousand years. So the excuse the devil made me do it is a lie. Oh, and there won't be any sickness because the tree of life that was in the first paradise will be prevalent in the millennial kingdom. And it will be for the healing of the nations. Sorry for all of you in the medical profession, but there won't be a medical profession anymore. Because the, the tree of life will be for the healing of the nations. That means nobody's going to die according 
to the Bible younger than a hundred years old for a thousand years. No more tragedies to shake your fists in God's face over. No more tragedies. All the excuses that man has used are all going to be taken away for a thousand years. The Bible says that the, the sinner being a hundred years old would perish. Your sinners? Oh, yeah. You see, man will still have free will during that period of time. How can that be? Well, I got a question for you. In the garden where there was no sin, how did man sin in the garden? Oh, by the way, in heaven where there was no sin. How did Lucifer sin in heaven? So for a thousand years, there would be sin. Because the one sitting on the throne and your government and your, your, your religious leaders will not be forcing you to do anything. You'll have the right to choose to live your own way. But at a hundred years old, you're going to die if you're a sinner. But you've got a hundred years. You've got a hundred years. You don't have to worry about a preacher getting in the pulpit and threatening you you're going to die. hundred years old. You're going to live a hundred years at least, even as a sinner. Now here's something in this book that so baffles my mind. <laughs> this millennial kingdom will last four times longer than the United States of America has been in existence. No war, no bad economy, no poor people, no poverty, no violence, no sickness, no death, no false religions. No preacher to blame your not living for God over. Nobody, no excuse for a thousand years. And then the Bible says <laughs> that Satan will be loosed from the bottomless pit at the end of that thousand years. And in a very short amount of time, he will deceive the majority of the world and they will leave following the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all gods, sitting on the throne of Jerusalem. And Satan will convince the world to join him in a rebellion against that God. How? How, how can that be? You see, folks... The history of man in the period of time given for his salvation from creation to the great, great white throne judgment starts and ends with a paradise. In the first paradise, no sickness, no sin, no devil. God fellowship with man every day in the garden. Man knew God. God knew man. 
We don't know how long that went on. It was a long, a long time. A long time. There is no evidence that I can find that the conversation between, between Eve and the serpent ever happened but one time. This was not an ongoing debate. This was not an ongoing discussion. No, I do not believe that the serpent spoke audibly. But there was some way that he communicated with Eve's mind. And in one conversation, she was deceived enough to go against the only commandment God had in their paradise. And in the last paradise... God's on the earth 24-7. Visible to all mankind. You think cell phones are not going to be in existence then? You think we're going to go back to caveman status technology-wise? No. I don't believe that for one minute. There won't be an apple then. who's doing their great job of imitating Microsoft, used to be able to count on them bringing out products that didn't have a whole lot of bugs in it. Now, they're letting you find the bugs for them and me find the bugs for them. Thank God there won't be an apple then. Will there be technology? I don't see why there would not be. But there will be one God. Visible God sitting on the throne of the world, ruling over the world. You ever wonder what the Bible was talking about in Acts chapter 1? When the disciples said, Lord, is it time for your kingdom? And he said, no, 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 no. <laughs> the time of my kingdom is my doing. He was preaching about a supernatural kingdom. They were wanting to know when the millennial kingdom was going to come. Because the promise was made to Abraham and to his descendants that the Lord was going to rule the world from Jerusalem. That is not a political statement, you understand. That's not choosing Israel over anybody else or whatever. That is a biblical statement of faith. Not a political statement. God's promised that. And in that paradise, again, sickness will not be an issue. Violence won't be an issue. There'll be no death as far as violent death where man is killing. There won't be any wars. There won't be any poverty. There'll be peace on earth for a thousand years. And yet in a short amount of time, just like in the first paradise, man's going to believe Satan. And come against God. I got a question for you folks. From the garden to the millennial kingdom. And in every one of those periods where God dealt with man in different ways. What's the common factor in all of that? Flesh. That's the common factor in all of it. 
flesh. This is kind of off the subject, but not really. <laughs> How about go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Now you'll talk about some disturbing verses for New Testament believers. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Next verse. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works, and the Greek there is, many wonderful miracles... And then I, the Lord, will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You can prophesy. You can cast out devils. You can do miracles. And the Lord can look at you and say, I never knew you. Huh? How? Because even the miraculous being manifested to your life does not override a life lived according to your own will and not the will of God. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And we're living in a day and time that just because something is legal doesn't make it morally right. Just because the law allows it doesn't mean it's okay with God. And let me tell you what, in the great white throne judgment, there's not going to be any Supreme Court justices there to plead your case that it was legal. No, no, no. Our government society today makes up its own rules to placate and appease and get votes. Yeah. Except for the first time that blew up in their face, didn't it? And that's not a statement in favor of the new president. It's really more of a statement of the arrogancy of those that thought that if they gave everybody what they wanted, they'd get elected. Oh, wait, they gave some people what they wanted. They didn't give everybody what they wanted. You see, because the word of God is the word of God. And every nation that forgets God's going to be turned into hell. And that day's coming in this country, friend. That day's coming in this country. So here we are, folks. It's flesh. <laughs> I'm going to read quickly. You'll have to try your best to follow me if you don't mind. And I, I'm reading, uh, just for time's sake, I'm reading real quickly. <laughs> Listen to this. Paul is quoting the Old Testament in, in Romans chapter uh, 3. And, and this is a description of the spiritual condition of flesh. Romans 3 verse 9. What then 
Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all going out of the way. They are all, they are, they are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. There, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift in it to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Do you understand that man can't deny the word of God and become exempt? Because he denies the word of God? Well, I don't believe it. So that somehow does away with the creator God? That somehow does away with the one who created you? The one who is truth? You don't believe it? So what? You don't believe it. The Bible says, shall the unbelief of some make the faith of God without effect? Nah. Let God be true and every man a liar. I'm good. Oh, I've heard that so many times. It makes me want to throw up every time. Well, who are you, preacher? I'm one of you. And I'm not good. <laughs> I'm not saved because of what I've done. I'm not saved because of how righteous I am. I'm not saved because of, of, of anything I've earned. And neither are you. Neither are you. Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God with, without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, up unto all, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I could care less how politically correct you are. You can say this is happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas if you want to. But you can't take the cross out of history. Change it from B.C. to B.C.E. if you want to, but it's still B.C. and A.D. Why? Because I need a Savior. I need a Savior. On the Sunday after my 71st birthday, I will have had the Holy Ghost 59 years. 
And I'm not one bit saved more that day or today than I was 59 years ago. I need a Savior as much today as I've ever needed a Savior. I need a Savior. There was a heavenly choir that sung. Behold, we bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you this day in the city of David, there's born a Savior. I got a Savior. I got a Savior. I got a Savior. Why? Because I need a Savior. It's not a take it or leave it proposition. It's not get me saved, then I learn how to be good, and I don't need a Savior anymore. It's not come to church long enough to learn how to be a Christian, and then I don't need to be a Savior anymore. I don't need a Savior anymore. No! There are no rules, there's no laws you can follow that finally qualify you to be saved without a Savior. I needed a blood when I was born. I need the blood today. The shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Listen to what Paul said about himself. I'm reading now Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read quickly if you don't mind. Romans 7 verse 7. Hallelujah. For what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, the purpose of the commandment was to bring life. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me. And by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin that it might be might appear sin. Might be obviously sin. Working death in me by that which is good. That sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold unto sin. For that which I do, I would not. I consider the law that is good. If then, if then I do that which is, which I would not, I consider the law that is good. Excuse me, go back to verse 15. For that which I do, I allow, allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. How? How can that be? If I don't want to do this, why do I keep doing it? Yeah. 
Why is it the things I want to do? Because His Spirit dwells in me and causes me to want to do them. Why is it those things I want to, want to do, I can't do? Why? For that, verse 15 again, for that which I do, I allow not. In other words, the stuff I do, I don't even believe in. I don't even believe in the stuff I do. I'm against the stuff I do. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Not about after he got saved, but uh, not before he got saved, but after he was saved. He was describing his attempts to be a Christian after he was saved. Why? Flesh. Flesh. No wonder the Bible says, Take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not. But what I would, that do I not. But what I hate... That do I, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now and then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. I don't like that preacher. <laughs> the garden proves it. The millennial kingdom's going to prove it. The dispensation of conscience proved it. Human government promise. The law. The dispensation of grace. Every one of these proves that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. No wonder the Bible says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. Why? <laughs> i tell you why. Because we're in this together, you see. You help me, I help you. We can't do this by ourselves. You see? If I don't love you, I'm ultimately not loving myself because I need you and you need me. And that's the plan. And that's the way God designed it. And when you whisper and backbite and judge and tell tales, that may be the person you're destroying. May be the very person that in God's plan was going to be the one to help you make it someday. Verse 17 again. Now then it is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 18. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing for to will. To desire to do right and to not do wrong is present with me. But how to perform that which is good. 
I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that which I would not, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Where does it dwell? In my flesh. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. He is talking about his life after being born again. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am! Who? Not how. Not what. Oh, wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me? From the body of this death. We don't come to church because the church can save us. We don't listen to the preacher preach because the preacher can save us. The church is not the who. The preacher's not the who. Religion is not the who. There's only one who. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So with, then with my, the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. When I tell you that I'm not even remotely scratching the surface of this subject, that it's not a statement of egotism. That's a statement of awe. If you were to give me 24 hours a day and you could stay awake and stay focused, three days wouldn't be enough, seven days wouldn't be enough to really truly present this. You see, because you're either being honest with yourself and acknowledging what's preached or you're still living in deception and trying to deny it, that's your business. It's not anybody can do anything about that but you. Only God can help you if you're willing to be honest with yourself. <sighs> right outside here, a precious lady used to live. Acre of ground right here. What a wonderful lady she was. She took in all kind of kids. Some people she took in and loved are in this building tonight. I don't remember if David was her son or by birth or a foster son. Foster. David had a lot of problems, physical problems. This is back in the 80s. And uh, he wasn't, wasn't old. I don't think he was out of his 30s. Might not even have been in his 30s, but David passed away. And uh, she asked me to preach his funeral. 
Oh, I had stuff going on. I was, I had so much stuff. I was under so much pressure. I had so many things going on. And I knew there'd be almost nobody at that funeral. And I, we were living across the street at the time. And I remember I'm fussing with God about the fact I don't have time to preach. I was going to do it. I'm just complaining. I'm going to do it. But I'm, I'm complaining. And I was walking down the stairs from the main floor down to the basement where the garage was. It was a drive-out garage. So the main floor was one floor up. The basement wasn't in the ground. And I was walking down the steps. And I heard the voice of the Lord say to me, David is one of my sparrows. There are people that I put on the earth just to test other people to see how they will treat them. They're one of my sparrows. There could not have been more than 12 people in that funeral that day. And to this day, that's the greatest funeral message I've ever preached in my entire life. I preached God's sparrows. God sparrows. You understand, there's a reason Jesus said the poor you have with you always. Well, he's not just, he's not, no, no. You understand, this, this whole life is so temporary that whatever your natural circumstances are are so short in the grand scheme of things that God is not unjust. For some people, he's very unjust. He gave them everything their heart could desire and they're more empty than they can imagine. Why do you think it is the suicide rate among the rich is far higher than the suicide rate among the poor? He gave us all different skin colors and all different histories and all different backgrounds. All to see how we would treat one another. To see if we would see with the eyes of flesh. Or learn to see one another with his eyes. Learn to love one another with his love. And some of us, we just want to be in our little group, our little clique, with our little cultures. Have nothing to do with the scriptures, just the way we were raised. It's just the, the way we've done church and we're really comfortable with that. And it doesn't matter if the world goes to hell. We just want to be comfortable in what our flesh is used to. Because then we don't have to love because everybody's like us, you see, in our little group. <sighs> Jesus said, if you love those that love you, what thank have you? That's King James. But the Greek word there is literally the Greek word charis, K-C-H-A-R-I-S, which is almost always translated grace. So the point is this. If I only love those that's like me, I don't have any grace working in my life. Because you see, to love you that's not like me, God have mercy. I wasn't, I wasn't raised in the South. I was raised in the Navy. 
talk like this because of where I live. I talk like this because of how my mom and dad talked. Why couldn't he let me preach to people that talk like me? Why did he send me here to preach to people who were going to roll their eyes at me? Consider that my accent implied I was ignorant redneck from out of the woods somewhere. Give me a break. Why would he send me here? So that when I love you, you would know it's the grace of God at work. And when I let you love me back, it's the grace of God at work. And that by setting that example and preaching the word of God, when you love one another and you're not like one another, it's the grace of God at work. It's the grace of God at work. I'm almost done. I'd definitely have you out of here by 9 o'clock, I promise you. I know most of you haven't heard me preach enough to know that I was trying to be funny. Okay? That's all right. I need to read again, if you don't mind. Uh, I, again, I'm trying, not, I'm trying to hurry, but you got to get this point, okay? I'm reading, starting in Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins. Have hid his face from you, your unrepented sins. Your sins that you won't acknowledge to be sins. That he will not hear. For your hands have defiled blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue have muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out in a viper. Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity. The act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known or they know not. And there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Therefore is judgment far from us. Neither does justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity. For brightness, but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. We roar all like bears and mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none for salvation, but it is far off from us. 
For our transgressions are multiplied before thee and for our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as far as our iniquities, we know them in transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. And judgment is turned away backwards. Backward. And justice standeth afar off, and for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth falleth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. You know what that just said? If you try to stand up for God, you make yourself the target. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man. And he marveled. He was in awe. That's what the Hebrew word is there. He wondered. He was dumbfounded. He was in stupefaction, amazement that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him. And his righteousness sustained him. It sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet for and helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing. And was clad with zeal as a cloak. When did he do that? Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7. Verse 12. And he has said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Excuse me. Verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he shall hear. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, To establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And finally, Isaiah 12. Isaiah 12 and 1. In that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away and thou comfortest me. Behold, God... Is my salvation. I will trust. And not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength. And my song. He also has become.
salvation. Therefore with joy shall you draw waters out of the wells of salvation. In that day shall you say praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord. For he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout down heaven of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Why? Because I got flesh. This flesh can't save me. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And behold, this day, in the city of David, is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. Good world, good will unto men. And it didn't say peace in the earth. It said peace on earth. Good will toward men. Heaven's peace was made available. Beginning that day, it's your choice whether or not you take advantage of it. He didn't say peace on earth, meaning there'd be no more wars and no more conflicts. Wars and conflicts are going to go all the way through to the great white throne judgment. But peace, heaven's peace, was made available to us that day. Heaven's peace was made available. And whether Jesus was actually born on the 25th of December or not, it's not only suspect, but very few scholars actually believe that was the day of his birth. But the point is this. He was born. He was born. And the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. But to as many as received him. To them gave he power, authority to become the sons of God. You see? When I let his blood wash me and make me clean. When I let his name be put upon me in water baptism. When I let his spirit become a habitation in my life. I become the temple of God. The temple of the Holy Ghost. Individually, we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Collectively, we're a habitation of God through the Spirit. When we do that, peace is on earth. Peace is on earth. Goodwill toward men. Oh, my friend, hear me, please. Please. Hear me, please. If you're still trying to be good, you're still trying to be good. 
you're still trying to do right. Let me talk, tell you this. If that's your focus, you spend more days as a hypocrite than you do for real. Because it's not about trying or how hard you try or whatever. It has to do with how much you give up on you and let him do it through you. Because he's the Savior. He's the only source of good in me. My wife and I got married on a Friday night. I had to report to flight training on Monday morning. I was in flight training. I had to go to class on Monday morning. We didn't have a honeymoon. Got out of the Navy, evangelized nine months. Came here to start a whole missions church. We never did have that honeymoon. And since my parents and her parents most of that time lived down south, when it was vacation time, we didn't go on vacation. We went to see family. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's not the same thing. I don't mean that negatively. I love my parents and her parents. She loved my parents and her parents. Her family, my family, we loved, we loved our family. But we didn't take vacations. We went home to see family. So it was nearing our 20th anniversary. We thought it was about time to have a honeymoon. And uh, the Lord had blessed us. Uh, we'd had a miracle, financial miracle happen. And we had a little money for a, a few days in paradise. We went to Bermuda. First vacation we ever took. It was our 20th anniversary trip and honeymoon all rolled into one. Oh. One of, visually, one of the most beautiful places on earth. The water, the sky, all the houses, they're all pastel colors with white roofs to collect water, fresh water, rain, so they can have fresh water because they don't have a fresh water supply. We'd been there, got there on a Monday. We were coming home on Saturday morning. And in the midst of this paradise, I was going through some very difficult times with myself. I didn't understand most of this stuff I'm preaching to you tonight. And I'm still trying hard to do it right. It was early in the morning on Friday. We've been in paradise for four days. Beauty. God's beauty was everywhere. It was just beauty. I quit taking pictures. That was back when you bought online. You could get really good film for about seven bucks a roll. And that was cheap. And it cost... at Sam's it cost about $12 to develop the roll and get two four by five pictures so it was expensive but there was so much beauty I just kept shooting pictures till I finally decided wait wait this is stupid if I take a picture of everything that's beautiful I'm going to go broke so I just quit taking pictures there was no way to take pictures and in that beauty early in the morning on Friday I'd gone into the only private place in the room to try to keep from disturbing her asleep. And I'm praying. And I'm just so frustrated with myself and not being able to do it right and not be able to do it perfectly. I'm so frustrated. 
God, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And if you've ever played this game with God, I didn't think it was a game, but it really was. I was trying to manipulate him. I didn't know that, but I was. I said, God, it's hopeless. I was a sinner. I am a sinner. I'm always going to be a sinner. And I was expecting him to say, oh, no, 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 son, that's not right. That's what I was expecting him to say. <laughs> he says, you're right. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. Let me go back and restate that because I don't want you to say I'm right over that. He said, you're right. You're a sinner. But I'm in you. And I'm good. And you're good because I'm in you. I'm the source of your goodness. That little conversation that day in that little room changed my life. Changed my life. It took all the pressure off. Because I realized I couldn't perform well enough to be good. The only goodness I had or ever would have was He lives in me. And He's good. I've got a Savior. And I realized that next Sunday is one of those rare times when Christmas falls on a Sunday. And, you know, I know a lot of churches are going to have Christmas service that day. We don't do that here. We go to church three, four times a week, every week, all year. So Christmas day is a family time for us. Because we celebrate the birth of our Savior every day. We give thanks that our Savior was born every day. We acknowledge the fact we can't save ourselves every day. So next Sunday, if you think the rapture is taking place, just go ahead and pray through. We'll see you the Thursday night after that, the Lord willing. I know there's some people don't agree with that. The only one we have to please. That's him. It's the only one. So here we are. We got a couple of moments. It is only 814. I wonder if you could calm your spirit and your mind enough that for just a few minutes right where you're sitting to talk to Jesus and say, Father, I don't know if I understand all of this. I don't know if I agree with all this. But if this is really true, help me to know it's true. And help me, help me to receive this 
Help me to let you do this in my life. And if if you're already a believer, why don't you say, Father, forgive me for every effort I make to be good through my own efforts. Forgive me for everything I do to try to earn my way, deserve my way, because I'm stealing your glory, because I need you as my Savior, and I'll always need you as my Savior. Help me to never forget that, Father. Help me. Help me to never forget that. And by your grace, your love, your mercy, your peace, let me live this coming year in a way that all those who come in contact with me will see you, hear your voice, feel your love, and know that I'm not judging them because to judge them I'm judging myself because all of us are in the same boat we all need a savior in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Mary did you know that that child you're holding is going to be the savior can you imagine that The creator God of heaven and earth humbling himself enough to allow the totality of his plan to be clothed not just in flesh but in the helpless flesh of a baby. Why did he do that? Because he had a message for all of us. He wasn't born to rule over you. He was born to save you. And his rule is only, only works in the lives of those who willingly choose it because they know they can't rule themselves. And they want his power and his grace, his love, his mercy to work in their lives that they might do what's right in his sight by his grace. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If you're comfortable with this, would you take the person beside you by the hand or put your hand on their shoulder? That's the beauty of all this. We're not in this by ourselves. We're in this together. Come on, we're in this together. We're in this together. Come on. Come on, we're in this together. Come on. Come on. Come on, let's pray one for another right now. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Not trying to drag this out. I'm just trying to follow the Holy Ghost for a moment. Can we do that? Can we do that? Come on. Would you let the Lord help you? Could we pray one for another? 
Well, you don't know what they're doing, Brother Wright. No, and we don't know what you're doing. In God's sight, sin is sin. The fact that your sin is different than somebody else's sin doesn't make your sin okay and theirs wrong. Sin is sin. And we all need a Savior. We all need a Savior. Jesus' name. This is not a, this is not a, from a fleshly standpoint, this isn't a very wise thing to do here. But there's a song that I was reminded of this week. I haven't practiced it. But I just want you to hear it. I like the new songs, but, you know, the old ones don't become lies because they're old. See if we can find the key here. For what earthly reason would the heavenly Father send down his Son to suffer rejection and pay for crimes he had not done? For what earth? reason would the father let him hang on a tree I wept with the answer that one earthly reason was me was me.
me The fairest of angels Were not summoned from the throne Up in the sky To purchase my pardon Not even the angels could die The only provision for my freedom Was destined to be The sweet lamb of glory and his only reason was me. individually died for us individually 
immeasurable. Paul said it, said it this way. That great love wherewith he loved us. That great love wherewith he loved us. He loved us with a great love. He loved us with a great love. I realize that many of you have plans for this week. There is church on Thursday night. It is a corporate service. Uh, the Lord will and I will be speaking. Uh, that's not guaranteed, but it's probably the case. If you're going out of town, be safe. Have a great time. And I am asking everybody here to let the Lord speak to you just in case there's somebody here that doesn't have any place to go for dinner on Christmas Day. Just don't leave anybody at home alone. We're a body. We're a family. We're a family. I realize you may have the tradition where you get up in the morning and in your pajamas or whatever and open gifts with the kitties. That's all well and good. But when it comes time to break bread together, just make sure that nobody is home alone. Okay? We're a family. We're a family. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bless these people. They're your people, Father. They were purchased by your blood. You put your name on them, your spirit within them. You've taken us who were not a people and made us a people that you might be glorified. I speak grace, mercy, and peace from you, Father, upon us individually and collectively. Loose the angels of God to cover us, protect us as we travel. Let us be safe. Give us an opportunity, Lord, to love somebody we would normally love. Include somebody we would normally include in this period of time. Realize it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Make sure you shake hands. Be friendly. We have good number of visitors here today make sure that they leave the building with their hands sore